0: Welcome here. My name's Matt, a pastor here of Tri-City Church. Great to have you with us, along with Jake. I want to uh, welcome you here. If you're here for the first time, um, we ha- we're... We're at the end of a series, so a little bit tough, but uh, we're, we've been looking at the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis, and uh, because Easter is coming, we're, we're ending our sermon series here and then jumping into uh, really the account of the, the crucifixion of Christ and all the celebration that comes with his resurrection. Uh, but actually, this text is kind of the perfect text because uh, in it, we find a, a foreshadow, kind of a hint at what is to come, even though it's way back in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 22. And um, you can turn there. I'm going to read it. So if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it's still all good. Um, we've been looking at Abraham and uh, many people, you know, would call Abraham, he's, he's the father of faith. Uh, he's the one we look to as kind of the chief example of faithfulness in life. Uh, but if you've been with us for a whole series, I think it'd be fair to say that it'd be hard to call him the father of faith by this point. He's had a lot of opportunities to show faith. But he hasn't really, you know, uh, nailed it that many times. Uh, Most often we find that Abraham, even though there's opportunities for faith, he tends to doubt the protection and provision of God. Uh, Very often we found that Abraham has taken things into his own hands and that things then have have not gone very well. And so um, it's interesting that this really is the climax of the story of Abraham's life. And we find here uh, really the... Uh, The the paramount example, the opportunity for him to demonstrate his faith, and this time he really does knock it out of the park. Um, This is the sacrifice of Isaac, or the the test, the sacrifice of his son. And in this text, we find both him exhibiting exemplary faith, following the direction of God completely, and trusting God's provision. And it's uh, a testimony to what God has done in his life and really a lesson for us, for those of us here who, who would say we are people of faith, uh, how is it that this was possible? What, what do we have in this text for us? So we're going to look at this. I'm going to read through the entire text. Uh, we're doing verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to unpack it together. So here's God's words, uh, word to us this morning. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That's God's word to us this morning. Let's, let's pray together before we continue. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. I Thank you, God, that as we gather here each week, uh, Lord, we come to hear not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. And Lord, uh, I pray that that is what would happen now. I pray, God, for all of us, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts. God, you would help us to hear what you are saying to your people. I pray also, Lord, that you would help me uh, to speak words of truth in accordance with this text. And God, I pray that through this, we would really come to know uh, what it means to follow you faithfully and God, how it is that you are working in our lives uh, on this very day. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so the plan is to go through this in three sections. Uh, we are going to look uh, first at uh, a testing God. We're going to see that the test of God, obviously that is there. Secondly, uh, trusting Abraham. And thirdly, uh, providing God. So we have testing, trusting, and, uh, and providing. Now, the first, uh, testing God is, is very obvious. We see it in the first verse. It says uh, there, after these things, God tested Abraham. And this is not uh, out of character or unfamiliar when it comes to God. He, we see in the Bible that he frequently and continually tests his people. Uh, here's just a couple of examples. Uh, Exodus 16.4. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So this is when the people of God are wandering in the wilderness. God provides for them. There's manna bread from heaven, but there's a test in there. And the test is that they would only gather what they need for that day and that they would trust God for the next day. And God is saying in this provision, there is still a test because I want to see what's in your heart. I want to see if you will actually trust me or you'll, you'll gather a whole bunch, which they did. Um, Joshua also is another example. Uh, Joshua chapter two, 21 and 22. Uh, God says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So there God is saying, I'm not going to wipe out their enemies before them. I want to see what happens when they, they come into conflict with them. I want to see if they trust in me or they trust in their own strength. Notice that the testing of God is always very purposeful. It's always intentional. God is always looking to reveal whether there is a consistency between what we say we believe and what we actually do. And in these examples, God said, I want to see how it goes. I want to see if there is a real genuine faith there. Um, It it turns out that it's always been a challenge for God's people to be consistent in their faith. Uh, even way back in the time of, of Genesis to this very day, uh, many people pr- profess faith in Christ or faith in God, but to actually live that way is, is often difficult. I think we know the, the classic example, perhaps, of the, the person who says, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm a Christian, and yet Friday and Saturday night, they're out, they're out partying, they're disobeying the commands of God, and then they clean themselves up and come to church on Sunday morning. Anyone looking at that, anyone knowing them would say, look, that there seems to be an inconsistency there. Like, do you really believe the things that you say? But it's not just in the, the big things. It's in the everyday relationships of our life. I mean, for me, I look back and when I became a Christian in my teens, and even though I came to the point of believing, I said, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I want to live this way. There were, there were vast areas of inconsistency. And one of them came as I was, I was giving my younger brother a hard time, uh, Simon, my younger brother. I, I gave him a hard time a lot of the time. And uh, we were in our teens, and I, I was hassling him. And at a certain point, now, Simon's not a believer, but he said to me, he said, Matt, aren't, aren't you a Christian now? Aren't you supposed to be nicer and, like, more loving and stuff like that? And I was like, yeah, I guess I am. I, I was totally caught because he was absolutely right. There was a, there was a lack of consistency in what I, I said I believed, and yet the way I was, I was treating him. That was something that I really needed to, to work on. and something that my eyes were open to. This is why God tests his people because we always have uh, inconsistencies in our life and and his heart for us is that we would grow in faith and that we would be a consistent people. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus, God's goal for you is that you would grow in that faith, that there would be less and less inconsistency in our lives. Now, the, the, the cynics among us are those that, see, I think this ruffles our feathers a lot of the time. I think we would prefer if God would simply leave us to our own devices and say, I've given you faith. Don't worry, God. I will figure it out. I don't, I don't love it that you're always kind of testing and pushing and challenging me. I mean, can't I just kind of figure it out? It'll be fine, God. Don't worry, right? It'll. All Everything will work out. It won't work out fine. God knows this. And in fact, the, the mark of, see, involvement, intentional involvement is always the mark of love. You see this in families. Um, In our family, I will sometimes uh, tell my kids as I'm disciplining them, um, look, I'm disciplining you because I love you. If I didn't love you, I would just let you do whatever you want. I would just, you could watch whatever you want, you could do whatever you want. If I wanted you to do something, I will bribe you with candy or bribe you with screens, but otherwise, I wouldn't really care. But because I love you, I'm going to get involved. That's, that's the mark of love, that you get involved in people's lives, that you, you talk to them about areas of inconsistency, you help them grow. And that's what God is doing. In every case where he is testing his people, it's because of his love. It's because he loves us and he wants us to grow in every good way and he wants for us to have absolute certainty that our faith is genuine, that we are actually living a life of faith rather than just talking about it. Uh, we see this uh, in the New Testament, in the book of James. Uh, God... Articulates this dynamic. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That that's what God wants for us. God's heart for each of us who says that we believe in Jesus is, is for us to genuinely be faithful in every area of our life, because it's best for us. Because it leads to a life of joy and peace when we are consistent. So we have a testing God because we have a loving God. I don't think there'd be much pushback with that. I think even inside and outside of the church, we see the value of testing, right? We see even the challenge of living a life um, that's consistent with your convictions. And so we say that, Matt, that, that makes sense. But I think, though, there would still be some pushback from this test. Because this test is, is extreme. I mean, I mean, if you look at what it is that God has told Abraham to do, all of us, whether we've read this just for the first time today or many, many times, there's a part of us that says, man, I, I don't know about this test. It just seems, it seems like it's too much to ask. Look at verse, tw- verse 2 of, uh, of our text. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, a burnt offering was typically done with an animal. You, you would kill the animal, you would cut it up into pieces, and you would put it on a fire to be burned, to be consumed completely. This seems like a test that you should not ask of anyone. This seems cruel. I mean, it's a test, so you could respond, well, God didn't actually intend for Abraham to sacrifice his son. It was a test. And you'd say, yeah, but Abraham didn't know that. For Abraham, this was a traumatic experience. This was emotionally damaging, you might argue. To put him through this, like, how, how can you justify this? Tests I get, but this test, that, I'm not sure what to make of this test. Well, it's a fair question. One, as I said, that anyone who comes to this test needs to ask. And so to help us understand this, to give us a framework for it, um, I'm going to ask a question in return, and that is this. Is is emotional stress always to be avoided? Is that always the chief goal of of our human existence, that we would avoid uh, traumatic situations? I, I think the answer is no. There are times when we put ourselves willingly in traumatic situations because it brings benefit. So one example that comes to mind is a friend of mine whose brother is in the RCMP and he is part of the, uh, the team that investigates crimes against children. So the, the job of this team is day in, day out to, to go through evidence that is of an incredibly heinous and disturbing nature. They go through pictures and videos and testimony of people that do unconscionable things to children. This team has a very, very high level of stress. They are often traumatized. My friend's brother had to leave the team because of the amount of stress he was under. But all of us would say that we are very thankful that that team exists. We're thankful there are people who are willing to go through that level of emotional strain so that they can bring people to justice, so that they can protect children. There are many situations in society where we put ourselves in traumatic situations uh, because it benefits us, because it benefits society. And so the question isn't, Is there trauma here? The question is, is there benefit to outweigh the trauma? And I say, yes, there is. There are two clear ways in which this test in particular brings benefit to Abraham and God's people. The first is, as I said, that Abraham comes to a place where he is absolutely sure about his faith in God. He is pushed to such an extent that he knows that he believes fully and completely. And it's God's intention very often to put us in these kinds of situations. God doesn't shy away from this. In fact, he says this is his loving nature towards us that very often he overwhelms us to the point where we have to decide what we really believe. Uh, This is explained in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the experiences he had um, as he did his missionary journeys. He says this, uh, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, Paul is saying God did that on purpose. God God put us in a situation where we felt like we were gonna die on purpose because his goal for us was greater than simply physical comfort. His goal for us was that we would come to a place of believing the one who has control over everything, the one who raises the dead. And Paul says, that that was loving in my life. That was a good thing in my life. And the truth of the matter is that we all find ourselves in those situations where we, we feel like we're burdened beyond what we can bear. And the answer of God is, is I love you. I want for you to fully understand whether you truly believe in me or whether you're just doing it when it's easy. And so in the traumatic, difficult events of our lives, we see still the hand of God. And you may say then, <clears throat> fair enough. I think I can see that. I think I can, I can see maybe in my own life or, or just conceptually how that would be helpful. That would be beneficial. But Matt, but still this test though, I mean, this is something that goes beyond that line. To ask a father to do that to a son, why would God do that? And what we have to understand is that this is not just some random test. It's not just that God said, well, I want to figure out the the hardest, most difficult thing that I could ask of Abraham, and and I want to do that. It wasn't random. It was purposeful. In fact, it was connected into God's grander plan for all of humanity, and for the redemption of the entire human race. Because here we have a test that is all about the sacrifice of a son. And within it, we're going to see parallels that point us directly to the sacrifice of God's own son. So this wasn't just something that God thought up. This was an example that he used many times. Prophets in the Old Testament where he told them to to act out, to live out very extreme situations so that there might be a truth communicated to God's people. And in this case, we're going to see that the greater truth of God is that he is the provider. He is the one who provides the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And in this this test, we have a shadow of it, a foretaste of it. And we're going to land the sermon on that point but I wanted to hit it now so that we see the greater framework of, of how this could make sense, how we can reconcile this ask of God with his desire to see us grow. So we have a testing God because we have a loving God, even in this extreme test. Now we want to turn our attention to Abraham's response. We see amazingly that Abraham is trusting. We see in his trust, in his faith, really two key components of genuine faith. We're going to look at the activity of his faith and also the logic of his faith. Now, like I said, Abraham has not been stellar at this thus far. There's been a lot of examples where he's had a trial of faith and then he said, "Mm, there's no food here in the promised land. Let's go down to Egypt, right? I got some ideas, God. I'll figure this out, right? I'm waiting for a promised child. It's not coming. But Hagar, the maidservant, is there. Maybe this is the way to figure it out. Abraham is often adding his own ideas and getting us into the mix in terms of how to figure things out, how to bridge the gap between what what he sees God wanting to do and what has not yet happened. But you'll notice there's a difference this time. See, this time, Abraham doesn't say much at all. Look at verses three and four. This is right after God has given him the command. The test has begun. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men and went with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He doesn't say anything. There's no pushback, there's no question, there's no ideas about maybe what God really wanted him to do. He simply obeys. And, and, And this is an amazing aspect of faith. This is one that God wants for each of his children that our initial response, our immediate response would be one of activity, of obedience along the path of faith. Now this is tough for us, especially in our day because in our day, uh, we expect to have a voice in everything. Whether it's a class or a job, or we want want group discussion, we want opportunities to voice our opinion and, and that's good, but there are certain times when we simply need to recognize that our voice is not helpful. Our voice is not even appropriate. There are times when God speaks and our response needs to be, yes, Lord, in our actions, not just in our words. Now, the Bible, is, the Bible is full of people who wrestle with this, right? This is not a book full of people who knock it out of the park all the time. There are many, many examples of people really wrestling, struggling to follow God faithfully, people just like us. But every now and again, you come across someone who just exhibits perfect faith in the face of an extreme, a very difficult situation, and, and it's breathtaking. Simply think about the weight on Abraham's shoulders, and yet he gets up in the morning, and he just starts to do what God told him to do. Another example that came to my mind is uh, Mary and Joseph. Just think of what God put on their shoulders. Right? This is a situation that no one has been in ever before. Right? Mary, you're gonna have a child. Right? Joseph, you're gonna have her as your wife. She is with child, but don't worry, it's all fine. There wasn't actually a guy, it was me, so go for it. Right? And what's their response? Look here in, in Luke, we see Mary's response. Mary simply says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Amazing. And with Joseph, there's not even any words, he just does. Right? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Look, we're not great at this. I'm not great at this. There tends to be a a hesitancy in us to to do what God tells us to do. But what might happen for us as individuals or as a church if, if our immediate response was one of activity, was one of obedience, when we felt a conviction of God, We felt the spirit move. And we felt like this is exactly, I know what God wants me to do. What would happen if we simply started to walk in faith? What would happen if when we were reading the word of God and we saw a clear direction from him and we responded in obedience right away? We, We didn't need to pray about it for three months. We didn't need to decide whether God actually wanted you to talk to your neighbor and invite them to the Easter service, right? It's clear, go and make disciples. There's one right there. Go talk to that person. Now, I know we got to figure out the right time, right? Not when he's up on a ladder. But hey, what I'm saying is <laughs> we, we tend to find ways to delay and, and to question and to wonder when there are certain times when God is simply saying go and our response needs to be yes. Now, you may also, though, push back here <clears throat> because it sounds like what I'm saying is that if you are to be a Christian, it means that you need to shut off your brain and just do what the church or what God tells you to do. Don't think about it, just do it, right? That's what faith is. You stop talking, you stop wondering, you just go and do it and, and there'd be some red flags that would pop up. You, you might wonder, especially if you're here, you know, kind of figure out what, what's church all about. You might say, that, that doesn't sound like a great way forward. It sounds like at the end of that road, there's a glass of Kool-Aid and people wanted me to, Matt, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> like, is, that what you're, is that what you're saying? I'm nervous. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible doesn't say shut off your brain. In fact, what we see in Abraham is that true faith requires an engaged mind. There's a logic to the faith, a logic to Abraham's actions. And it has everything to do with a reasoned mind, but also the character of God. So that's what we're going to look at next, uh, the the logic of his faith. Now, the main thing that we see here that we think is the biggest thing is um, the challenge of Abraham to give up his son clearly a huge part of this text. Uh, we could park the sermon here and really talk about the challenge of loving God more than the gifts, the gifts he gives us. That, that's in the text. It has everything to do with the idolatry of our heart and whether we really believe it's best to follow God. But there is an even bigger issue here. One that I think Abraham was wrestling with even as he went forward in obedience. Because Isaac is not just any kid. Isaac is the son of promise. We see this very clearly in the text. Uh, Genesis 17, I mean, lots of times God promised this, but here's what we see. Uh, We see him say, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This means that all of God's promises, his covenant to Abraham, that I'm gonna bless all of humanity through your son, is all on Isaac's shoulders. And that means that Isaac should probably be alive for that to happen. So Abraham is walking forward, he's heard this call of God, he's being obedient, but for three days, that's the journey, he's wrestling with this idea. How does this make sense? How can I reconcile this command of God with his promise from before? And interestingly, by the time he gets to Mount Moriah, it it seems as if he has a solution. It seems as if by virtue of the logic, by thinking things through reasonably, he's come to a conclusion that makes sense. Now, logic, if you're not familiar, is really, I mean, we use the term all the time, it basically just means something makes sense, right? But there is a, a discipline of logic in math and philosophy, and that's when you have a formula. So I want to show you a formula that actually is, um, is on our, this is on our whiteboard in our office. And uh, the reason it's there, I, I saw it one day, I'm like, why is there this on our office? You're not allowed to do math in church, you're not <laughs> allowed to do that. And it turns out uh, Dean Regeer, who uh, is part of our church and um, a mathematician, was in there one day and he decided to leave us a gift of an equation, which I, I, th- I mean, Dean's obviously not a good mathematician because we all know math involves le- uh, numbers and we only see letters there. So I said, Dean, there's something, I don't understand any of that, but one part I do understand. At the bottom, you'll see three letters, QED. Uh, QED is what uh, logicians, mathematicians, or uh, philosophers will put at the end of an argument, and it's, a, it's short for Latin expression, which I forget, but basically means, ta-da, it's, this, is, this all makes sense. <laughs> this is, I've proven to you that this makes sense, QED. Um, this is what you put when you have proved you, the, the problem, you've come to a solution. So what I want to do for you is, is use logic then to think through, what is Abraham thinking about? He has a problem, he needs to come to a solution. So here is first the problem. Uh, these are the, the truths that he knows. The first thing he knows is that um, Isaac, right, God said humanity would be blessed through Isaac, right? That's very clear in scripture. God definitely has said that. The second thing he knows is that for that to happen, uh, Isaac needs to be alive, right? You, you can't have more children and have a whole heritage of people if, if you're dead. But the third thing he knows to be true is that God has told him to kill Isaac. That's a problem, right? It's it's not just a problem in terms of his heart as a father. It's a problem logically. Like, how does this make sense? And so he would have been, this would have been churning around in his brain as he saddled the donkey and went for a walk. He's traveling where God is telling him, but he's still trying to figure this out. So there are two possible solutions. The first is this, that God is inconsistent. God is one of those gods, like he knew back in Ur, that say one thing one day, one thing another, there's some sense that they want us to do this, and then they change their mind. There's no consistency. There's no faithfulness. They, they just do what they want because they're God. This may be that kind of God. God may just be saying, I'm gonna promise all this blessing to you, but actually, you know what? No, no, uh, kill, kill Isaac. That's what I want you to do now. That would be logically true. It would be a solution to this problem. That that's the character of God. But there's a, there's a problem with the solution. And the problem is that... <clears throat> Abraham has gotten to know God. And as he he thinks about this, this does not sit well with him. See, Abraham has developed a relationship with God. He has seen him intervene when Abraham has made a mess of things in Egypt. He has seen him reveal himself in majesty and glory in the promised land. He has also seen him manifest himself in human form to come and eat with him and talk with him. He has seen God's grace As he rescued Lot, he has seen God's commitment over the years to this promised son. So when Abraham thinks that that might be the solution, he could not write QED at the end. It it would be logically inconsistent in his mind in light of God's character. And that's the key aspect of faith, that we think of our situation in light of who God is. And so as he thought about it some more, there's another solution. One that did not make sense from a human point of view, but made sense from a heavenly point of view. So the second solution is this, that God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. See, Abraham had never seen any inconsistency in God. He had seen wisdom and power and majesty and glory. And that told him that if he had to figure things out logically, inconsistency in God's character wasn't there, but the power of life, that was there. The God who would create all of the world and everyone in it, that was there. And so even though from an earthly point of view, this didn't make sense for Abraham, it made the most sense that God would somehow raise Isaac from the dead, even though at this point in history, it had never happened. In the New Testament, at least we have Jesus. He sort of gives a foreshadow of his own resurrection. He raises Lazarus, but here that had never happened before. And yet the logic of faith dictated that Abraham had to come to this conclusion. And you might be saying, Matt, are you just... Making this up, how do we know that that's actually what he's thinking? Well, it's there in the text. In verses four and five, we see this. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. The the clear implication is we're going to go and we're going to come back. This is all the while Abraham knowing, I'm going to be obedient I'm going to, if I have to, sacrifice my son. But somehow, someway, God is going to bring us both back. That's my conviction. Not because of the circumstances, but because of what I know of God. And so he is able to move forward in faith because he trusts in God's power. And we have another commentary on this. Not just here in Genesis, but all the way in Hebrews. Looking back on this event, here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That's what was going on in Abraham's mind. He said, this seems crazy, but I know my God and I trust him. So the solution there uh, to our problem would be God is going to raise Isaac from the dead and so... Because of that, I can trust God. QED, it's proved, right? In light of who God is, this is logical. This is true. And so I move forward in faith. I don't shut off my brain and just do what God says. I think through who he is and the situation I'm in, but I remember that he's God, that his power surpasses all of my power and his wisdom surpasses all of my wisdom, And this is key for us, for those of us here who are pursuing faith, because we find ourselves in these kind of situations all the time, where the question in our heart, the burden on our heart is, can I trust God? Given the situation I'm in, given the, perhaps the difficulty of the situation, can I really trust him? What is his character? There are promises that God makes to everyone who calls in the name of Jesus, but the reality is that we don't, we don't see the fruition of those promises right away. One of the, the most beautiful, encouraging promises is from the book of Romans, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That means that for all who follow God, God is working everything, every single thing, every detail of your life for your good. And yet we know that when we look in our lives that there are things that are not good. And we're driven to our knees, to say, God, how does this make sense? How is it, God, that I can continue to trust you, can have faith in you, to, to, to be obedient when there's this seeming inconsistency and the logic of faith helps us because we need to have our minds full not just of the, the details of our circumstances but, but the character of God and that he is a God that can, in fact, bridge those gaps where we don't see any way forward, where it seems like there's no way that this could blossom into anything good, God says, don't forget who I am. I'm the God who raises the dead. See, for Abraham, this, this I think filled his heart even though the situation itself was still heartbreaking. He still moved forward in faith. We see him with full trust in the character of God. Verse 10 says it this way, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. That phrase to, to fear God means that you, that you honor him, you respect him, that you see it as best in your life to, to follow his way and to, to trust his character. And that was demonstrated because Abraham came to a place where he was obedient, even in the most trying circumstances. This is the blessing of this event in Abraham's life, that that he knew who God was, and that he was able to go forward in faith despite the difficulty of the road ahead. And in this, we also see the character of God because he provides for Abraham. He steps in. Uh, This is our last point, the providing God of uh, The last two verses really hit the nail on the head and Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. We see here that the character of God is one of Provision not just the temporary provision, not just helping us in our daily lives, but an ultimate provision for us to have a way forward that is filled with life and joy and happiness regardless of the circumstances. That that phrase the Lord will provide is a name for God, Jehovah Jireh, the the one who provides for his people. And, And we have here a foretaste, as I mentioned, of the ultimate provision of God. Again, this is not just a random event, a random test. God has interwoven into this very act things that would would point us forward to the sacrifice of Christ. So it's a blueprint, not just for how we are to live our own faith, but for the very foundation of our faith. I want to read for you some of just the parallels we see between the two events. Um, There there are a bunch of them, but here are some of the highlights. Both Isaac uh, and Jesus were sons of promise. In both cases, there was a waiting period, waiting for them to come. Both carried the wood for their execution on their backs as they, as they walked up a hill. Both were sacrificed on a hill outside of Jerusalem. Mount Moriah, it's, it's right there in Jerusalem. It may have been the same mount where Jesus was actually crucified. In each case, a substitute sacrifice was provided. Obviously the ram in the, in the case of Isaac, but in our case, Jesus himself was the substitute. By, by all accounts, we should be the ones who were put to death for our sin. And yet Jesus is the one who sacrificed himself, who substituted himself. In each case, a thorns adorned the head of the sacrifice. You See the ram caught in the thicket. And, and Jesus He took the, the crown of thorns and put it on his head. Both Isaac and Jesus went willingly. Isaac was much younger and stronger than his dad. The only reason he was laying on that altar was because he trusted his father. And for Jesus, he not only trusted his father, his goal was to glorify him and to go to the cross for our sake and for the sake of demonstrating the love of God. And Isaac's question, that he said to Abraham, where is the lamb? It's answered in Jesus. John the Baptist says, as he, as he sees Jesus coming towards him, behold, the lamb of the God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the biggest difference. The difference is, of course, that Isaac was not sacrificed, but Jesus was. Jesus was sacrificed because the gap between the promise of God and all the good things that he wants to bring us is filled with sin. And there needed to be an atonement, a substitute, someone to pay that penalty. And Christ said, it will be me because I love your people, because I want to bring into our lives all of the blessings of God. And so we see here in this, this foreshadow, all of the elements of the provision, the ultimate provision of God. And church, this is so helpful for us because in it we see a demonstration of God's character. Look, I know that there are a lot of situations in our lives where it's just really hard to trust God. There, there are circumstances in our life where, where we wrestle with them, Lord, how does this make sense? We're on our knees in the morning. We're, we're, we're up at night because we're wrestling through these circumstances that God has brought into our lives. God, you, you've given me a desire for children, but, but a body that, that can't produce them. Lord, how does that make sense? Lord, you've brought me into a marriage, but with a man who has eyes for other women other than me. Lord, Lord you've given me a family and children, but these, these children, they want nothing to do with your word. They're disobedient and wayward. Lord, how does this make sense? Lord, you've given me faith, but my family, my friends, they, they, don't, they don't believe, they want nothing to do with you. God, God, how do I make sense of this? And the answer is not simply to, to look at the circumstances and to think about how we can fix them. The answer is for us to, to have our mind filled with the character of God. That in those times, where we don't see a connection. We see this huge gap between the promises of God and, and the The blessings of God, we see that Jesus fills that gap. We see that it's his intention. It's it's not just words on a page, it's action. Jesus came to give himself for us so that the doors of heaven would be open. And so that even in the most trying times of our life, we can see, we know that God loves us. He's demonstrated his love for us. He's given everything for us. And so that when we come to the point of wondering, Can I trust him? The answer is yes. The answer is a thousand times yes. Because we have everything that we need in Christ. And that the fact that there is a gap simply means that we are called to faith. And that in God's wisdom, he will bring those blessings in his good timing. Now, as I said, I think this is a this is a good lead into Easter. Because this is a time where we have much to celebrate. We celebrate all that Jesus did, the, the final sacrifice on our behalf. And for those of us who know Jesus, it's a time where we, we genuinely, hopefully, are reminded about that. We're celebrating it. And also, we are, we are compelled, hopefully, by what God has done in our heart to go and invite others to say that there are gaps in everyone's life. Everyone is looking for an answer to the things that we hope for and the way things are. But Jesus is the answer for everyone because all the other answers, they don't go beyond this life. There's some things that will bring some measure of comfort and peace, but in the end, there's death. And yet we have a a God who raised himself from the dead. We have a God who promises us the same. And so this is a a great lead-in as a text. And I hope a great motivation for us as a church. And I would simply say for those of you who are here and and you aren't yet at a position of faith, we're, we're glad you're here. My hope is that this text has filled your mind with more about who God is. If you're asking the question, can I trust God? My hope is that as you continually look in the pages of scripture, the revelation is one of consistency, one of love, one of intervening in the lives of his people so that we might come to a place of hope and assurance. So let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for this this text, Lord. Just an extreme situation, and yet God filled with with who you are as a loving and gracious God. I pray, Lord, for us as a people. I pray, God, that you would help us, especially in those times, Lord, maybe right now, where we are really struggling to believe, struggling to have faith, struggling to have peace with the circumstances of our life. God, would you please remind us of who you are, that you are a God of miracles, that you are a God of sovereign wisdom, and Lord, that it is your stated desire your commitment, Lord, to bring every blessing into our life through Christ and in heaven to come. And so, God, I pray that we would be filled with encouragement today. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who is contemplating faith. God, would you, would you help them? Would you help us to have good answers for the questions they have? And, Lord, may this be a season upcoming, an Easter season, where many, many more people come to the ultimate solution of Jesus and see what it is that you have done and the extent of your love for us.